So my name is Julene Jackson with Moms for America. We've got Z and Hannah uh, helping on the back end. Thank you so much, ladies. Z from Colorado, Hannah is in Oregon. We have come to the end of our 16 week class. Woo, that I hope you are proud of yourself. Today is the last day of our section four, seminar four, section four. Um, I, I wanna know at the end of class, what, what has changed in your mind as you've taken, even if you've only been able to come in halfway through or even have a couple, what, how has your ch thinking changed or how has it opened up your mind and understanding you know, various aspects of our history and the constitution and what you can do uh, to be a part of the solution? You know, you've heard me say many times, as you've heard me teach, maybe if you've been with us a little while, that the gospel of freedom is as real and as important as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you can't have God's gospel prosper and thrive. You can't have the ability to worship freely the way you want when you're not in an environment of freedom. And God wants an a maximum environment and freedom in order to be able to worship him and to tap into, you know, his teachings and his way of life. You know, um, let's have our first slide, Hannah. This weekend, I last weekend, last Friday and Saturday, I went to a conference down in Washington, D.C. at the Washington Hilton. This is where Ronald wow. Reagan was shot all those years ago. And it was the Faith and Freedom uh, Coalition Conference. So it was Ralph Reed, and I believe they've had this uh, once a year conference for 18 years. And it was interesting. There were thousands of people. I believe there's probably about 2000 people there. And every person who is running for president uh, under the Republican ticket spoke was there. This is a vice president uh, Pence. So it was all day conferences on Friday and all day speakers, all day conferences, all day speakers and all day speakers on Saturday. And then our, the concluding speaker was President Trump. But on Friday, I mean, it was, I, I couldn't believe everyone that was there. Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, uh, Governor DeSantis, Larry Elders, the mayor of Miami is running for President Suarez. I really liked him, Vice President Pence. I really liked uh, a young fellow, 37, Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy. That's a very hard name. That's not, the, that's not the best name to run as the president, but, you know, we'll figure it out. He said he, he is the first millennial to run for a president ever. And so I really liked him as well. I liked all of them, to be honest with you, because they all bore witness of God. Uh, there, there is the lieutenant governor from North Carolina. His name is Mark Robinson. Robinson, I believe. Does anyone have are, are, anyone from North Carolina? Do you know of him? He's the lieutenant governor right now. He's going to run for the governor. Oh, he was so good. To be honest with you, on Friday they started out with um, several black preachers and then Alveda King, and uh, they were so good. Now Senator Josh Hawley, who is the senator from Missouri. I like what he had to say that um, there will be no future for the conservative movement without Christians, without God. He said Thomas Jefferson and our founding fathers, he, he mentioned Thomas Jefferson, but all of our founding fathers understood the ancient faith is what he called it. And we need to restore and recover the ancient faith if our country is going to be able to move forward. So let's see the next slide. On this, the, the two women on uh, either side of me, I'm in the middle there, are our leaders from Florida, the president of Moms from America, America from Florida and the state liaison from Florida. And those women are just stars in their own right. One of the uh, um, gals spoke on a panel. She was just terrific. So that on Saturday evening, there was a, a gala, a big dinner. There's Carrie Lake off kind of to the side and President Trump was the final speaker. And he was really good. He spoke for an hour and 15 minutes. Now, usually when someone speaks that long, you are just praying they will sit down. I mean, that's way longer than most people should probably typically speak. But there is something about President Trump that even at the end, we were all still listening to him, which says something about his ability to lead that what he, he, uh, he was really good, to be honest with you. And, you know, he's a flawed man for sure. We're all flawed, but 
he, uh, he, he was impressive. And I like what he had to say. He said, Americans of faith are the soul of this country. Americans of faith are the soul of this country. And he said, no president has fought for Christians like me, he said. And to be honest with you, in my lifetime, he has been the greatest advocate of life. He was the first president in Washington, D.C. to go to the yearly um, pro-life uh, rally on the mall. And the, the night he spoke, the day he spoke that Saturday, uh, last Saturday, was the one-year anniversary to date of the um, overturning of Roe versus um, Wade, the Dobbs, the Dobbs decision. And he said, it's because of the justices that I put on the bench <laughs> that we were able to overturn 50 years of abortion. 62 million little babies had been aborted during that time period. And so, you know, truly our strength and all of these people who spoke and who are running for president understood and were very bold in the way they said it. Our strength is because we have always been one nation under God. And let's see the next slide. This is why this is a special land. And this is why God will continue to bless and protect and heal this land as we do our part to preserve its freedoms and its liberties and the inspired constitution that our founding fathers gave us that they said was struck off by the hand of God. They gave credit to God for giving them these inspired documents. So, you know, we know the promises of God are real. We can take his promises to the bank. He is a God of miracles. If anyone is in the word and studying the word, and I believe you probably all are. And, you know, we know when he says this nation shall endure, it will endure as long as we continue to seek his face, repent of our wicked ways and hear him and he will heal our land. That's the promise. We, we know that. I love that scripture that it says in, in you know, the last days, great and terrible will be the, the days um, leading up to end times. And I've often thought it would be great for people who love America and are up and doing and, and, and trusting that God is at the helm here of this work. And it will be terrible <laughs> for people that are sitting back who are angry or apathetic or, or, you know, or disdainful or just waiting to be taken care of, so to speak. So, you know, the, the solution can be found in us partnering with God, but we have to do our part. And this is what we talked about for the last 16 weeks, that we got to get God back into the game. We talked about this last week. We got to get him off the bench. We have the best player. We're on his side. We got to get him in our, in, in our game. We need to get him more fully in our life. And we need to heal relationships in our families that need healing. If it's our marriage, if it's our children or extended family members, we need to heal and keep that family close and help them to get God back in their game. And we need to continue to study and learn, you know, these, these principles of freedom. I commend you. You've been with this seminar for 16 weeks now. And I hope it will continue to be a lifelong of learning of these principles of freedom going with, you know, along with principles of God, they go together. And then as you study these things, God will surely put on your heart as you sit in on these online classes, what you can do. Should you maybe start, gather four, five, 10 people in your neighborhood and start a weekly or a monthly uh, a cottage meeting where you study together? Should you contribute to good candidates that you want to see win? Should you start to attend school board meetings? Should you just start to be more meaningful in your own personal prayer and, and scripture study, whatever it is, God wants you to do something. And as you do something, enough of us doing something, it will justify the heavens for him to intervene and to begin to heal our, ourselves and our families and our communities and our nation. Okay, let's see the next um, slide. So today we're talking about healing the economy and international relations. Now you might think, oh my goodness sakes, what little old me, what can I do <laughs> to heal the economy and international relations? Well, you might be surprised. So let's go through the material today and just see what God puts upon your heart. So let's just read that little introduction there. Let's see the next slide. I'm not quite sure what that, let's see that next slide. There you go. So we have, this is 16 weeks now. We talked about 
uh, how God has worked in early times. And we, I love those faith stories because it's a reminder how he will still work today on behalf of yourself, your home, and this nation, okay? And then we broke down the Constitution in that uh, seminar number two. And all the, the new amendments that have come since the Constitution that have caused a disruption of power. So, you know, initially people might go, what, you want to do away with the 17th Amendment? I should be able to vote for my senator. Or you want to repeal the 16th Amendment? How is the government going to have any money so they can take care of us? So people will say those things that don't really understand the Constitution from the viewpoint of the founders and don't understand that, you know, uh, Amendment 6 and 7 caused a disruption to, you know, how they intended the voice of the people to be played out. And, and so uh, seminar number two is just something that I think you have to repeatedly study uh, the constitution from their viewpoint and that what came after. So you can, because initially, you know, right off the bat, when you tell people some of the things that need to uh, take place to restore the constitution, they'll push back and they'll ask, what are you talking about? I should be able, this is a, this is a democracy. I should be able to vote for my <laughs> senator. You know, and so you'll need to have to explain it kind of in a simple way. So that's why you have to keep studying that seminar number two. And then seminar number three, of course, we talked about these people, these master planners, these organizations uh, that have wanted to do away with what the founders gave us because of their self-serving motives. They want power centralized so they can control things more easily instead of it spread out before, you know, three branches of government. And then we've been talking about the healing and our last component of healing, healing ourselves, healing our families, healing our communities, our states last week, how we can heal the constitution and ultimately today healing the economy and our international relationships. So freedoms, our freedoms consist in seminar four of really two components. Um, first, healing ourselves and our families through personal and family righteousness. And then second, being active and participating in civic duties. So you have to know the constitution to be one of, to be inspired to de defend, uh, you know, uh, these principles out in your communities and neighborhoods and, and get involved with uh, public affairs in, in your local surroundings where you have your most influence. Let's see that next slide, um, Tressie. So I love uh, when it comes to getting yourself and your family you know, aligned with God. I, I like to do um, fitness classes. So I'm, I'm a yoga girl. I go to a lot of, you know, like weight training classes and yoga sculpts and that kind of thing. Uh, I had a teacher say to me, exercise, he was yelling out while we were trying to like, do our weights or do our burpees or something, something terrible. And he said, exercise is like a relationship. It doesn't work if you cheat. Exercise is like a relationship like a relationship if we profess to, to you know honor God and to love God and to follow him that means we actually have to be praying to him we have to be studying his word we have to be you know praying for our enemies not cursing them out we have to be you know in a in a faith congregation or community where you can shore each other up and learn from one another and to be serving one another we have to be loving not only God but our neighbor so, you know, it's so easy to say, yes, well, I have faith in God and he's going to work it out and then turn around and, and you know, to talk so um, negatively about someone. I, I just think that, you know, we have to maybe most, most first and foremost, always be checking ourselves with, with God and what he has asked us to do. And, and that is an important component of being able to heal you know, our families, our marriages, our communities, our schools, the constitution, we have to be healed and in, in deep relationship with God. Okay, so to be successful in the first component, personal righteousness is based on a relationship with our creator. And the second component means we need to know um, and understand the constitution and, and know where it is, you know, we've gone amiss with legislation and court decisions. And, and we need to understand that these will be the tools to promote and preserve our inalienable rights so that our moral agency, when it comes to being able to live our life according to the conscience, our conscience can be maintained. So these tools will consist of principled organizations and the constitution and other related uh, documents. Let's see that next slide. So when all of these components are functioning 
properly, people are going to be blessed. Let's see that next slide with freedom, prosperity, and peace. Can you see this? this is why God cares about what kind of government his children live under? Because we can live more fully his teachings when we are in, uh, you know, this kind of environment that, that um, maintains freedom and prosperity and peace. Okay, so in the in last class, we talked about how we could restore, uh, the, the last few classes, restore our personal righteousness. Last week, we talked about how we can restore the Constitution. This week, we're going to talk about how we can restore prosperity. Hold on one moment. I turned off my air conditioning, and I think, hold on. Hold on, I gotta get the AC going. Uh, it feels like it's 90 degrees in my house right now. Okay. All right. So today we're gonna talk about, hold on, take a deep breath. <laughs> this might not be your first love. The need for a comprehensive monetary reform package, <laughs> monetary reform in our nation. And also how can we restore this free enterprise by deregulating the means of production and distribution and kind of bringing back that try, buy, sell, and fail of the free markets instead of, you know, just turning to the government to uh, solve our solutions and, and to tell us what to do. Okay, so we'll break it down as simply as possible. And, and if you're interested, I'll give you some various resources where you can even do a deeper dive on that. So about 40 years ago, the man who wrote this seminar, Cleon Skousen, uh, came up with a, was it 40 years ago? Yes, in 1982, a comprehensive uh, monetary reform that he sent to President Reagan, who was the president at that time in 1982. And he attached uh, this monetary reform, comprehensive monetary reform, and in and, and a one-page summary letter saying, you know, it's important. The American people need to understand the history of the money system in America, but they also need to understand the reprehensible record of the Federal Reserve that we got in 1913. And then we need, they need to have a, a, a working knowledge of a practical program, which can restore our constitutional monetary reform. And um, President Reagan one month later, sent Van Skousen a letter. I have seen this letter. I've been in the Skousen home a few times, and I've seen they framed this letter. Let's see that next slide. And in it, um, President Reagan, he thanks Leon Skousen for his set of recommendations and monetary policies. And he said, I have appointed special commissions to address the concerns in both of these areas, and I'll, uh, they'll be reviewing uh, your recommendations later this year. And he said, we will be, um, I'm considering, I will consider them in the course of developing their proposals. I believe your program for economic recovery has started this on the right path. And then he said, hey, but let's not kid ourselves. There's no instant cures for the results of 40 years of mismanagement. And then he, he ends the letter by saying, thank you for your recommendation. I shall continue working to justify your approval. So he and uh, Cleon Skousen and President Reagan had a, a close relationship. In fact, um, there's a name, a room at the Presidential Library in Simi Valley named after Cleon Skousen in the Ronald Reagan Library. And so students of economics who read Dr. Skousen's uh, monetary reform will recognize much of that, of, of what is in his um, reforms is what has become known as Reaganomics. And so we're going to study some of this reform today. This, is, this will be our concerns and our solutions. And we're gonna pull from um, this monetary reform that Reagan used uh, and, and really became known as Reaganomics. Okay, so here we go. Let's see the first slide there. The first concern, the first solution, what have we got? The first concern is that the Federal Reserve controls our country's money. So in 1913, Congress relinquished their responsibilities to be in charge of the money uh, to this consortium of non-government owned banks. So now these private entities, banks control uh, the money systems. And we know, you've heard me say this, the Federal Reserve is neither federal and there is no backup money reserves. So it's a misleading name. So what this did is it removed the control of the economy from our elected representatives of the people and gave it really to special interest groups who therefore can manipulate markets and interest rates. 
uh, and money. So let's see that next slide. I've, I've talked to you about these two books that I would really uh, recommend that help you to understand how this happened in 1913. The Creature from Jekyll Island is, is a really good book. And then if you want like a, a little, I'd want to say a, a more simplified version, I really like this Connor Boyack's books that he creates to take kind of complicated ideas and to make them more simple for children. So I would get both of these books, but basically it, it, it just explains how the Federal Reserve really was conceived in secrecy in 1910. It was uh, on Jekyll Island right off of, of the coast of Georgia at a private resort of JP Morgan. And some of these heads of these industries met together. And really what they did was form a cartel agreement where they, uh, a cartel is usually, you know, manufacturers or suppliers who come together to set prices at a high, high level to restrict competition. Okay, so this is what they wanted to do is they wanted to stop their competition from forming new banks. And, and they wanted to be able to create money out of nothing for the purpose of lending so they could get control of bank reserves. And they convinced Congress that this was to protect the public. And so Congress in an act, the Federal Reserve Act, gave them control of our money system to these private bankers. Most people don't know this. And this is spelled out in these two books here. So if you really want, if you know the markets and Wall Street, these kind of things are your, are your thing, I would get these books if you're interested. So what is the solution? It is as simple as this. Let's see the next slide. The solution is we don't we don't need an amendment. We just repealed the Federal Reserve Act with an act of Congress, a simple majority, 51%. The Federal Reserve Act itself, when it was put forth in 1913, outlines the procedure necessary for Congress just to take it back, take complete control back of our economy and, and dissolve the Federal Reserve anytime that they desired. Ron Paul, who was that representative from Texas, from the very beginning, he talked about um, uh, dissolving the Federal Reserve. So once again, just enough uh, uh, members of Congress have to understand how detrimental this has been to put the control of the money uh, in, in to these private bankers. Okay, so our next concern is American citizens are being taxed directly. Washington, D.C. with the 16th Amendment can go directly in to your pockets and tax you. This is not what our founders intended. In 1913, the, uh, 1913, the U.S. put into practice the 16th Amendment, which gave the power and authority of the government to assign and collect taxes directly based on your income from every source. This is a complete violation. Let's see the next slide of the principles laid out by our founding fathers. Let's see that next slide. The 16th Amendment, well, um, you know, in Article 1, uh, Section 9, Clause 4, the founders put it, stated it very simply to, that there should be a direct tax apportioned to the states according to the population. So if Maryland, I live in Maryland, uh, makes up, you know, 8% of the United States population, Maryland would be responsible for 8% of the federal budget. And it also talks about in Article 1, Section 8, how the taxes should be uniform. So what uh, Amendment six did, uh, 16 did is it, it bypasses the states and also um, uh, began to tax people on a graduated uh, scale. So not uniformly, but if, if you made more money, you would be taxed more. So really it made the income of wealthy less sacred because they were taxed at a higher rate. And really it was kind of a program to soak wealthier people as well. The, the master planners wanted to be able to um, <laughs> have wealthier people be taxed more. Now those really wealthy master planners, they hid all their monies in the nonprofit organizations. And we've talked about the, the tax exempt foundations that they created. And so what that did is that grew the coffers, the 16th amendment, uh, of the uh, the government, and so now they could begin to tax more and spend more on programs, and and members of Congress could now bring these goodies home to their states and guarantee that they would get reelected because they were convincing the people, look, I'm doing so much for you, I'm getting all these monies from the government to to provide more programs and and help in our state, 
And we know that this would not have been allowed to happen if the 17th Amendment, if senators were taking their marching orders from the states, not being elected uh, like the congressperson is being elected and, and fearing that they needed money to be reelected. So they needed to prove to their states that, you know, it's okay to tax because I'm going to take that money and, and take care of you and my state. Does that make sense to you? Now, the way I've explained that to you is how you would defend why we need to repeal the 16th and 17th amendments because the government now completely goes around the states. The senators don't even care what the, you know, the state legislatures want, want to, you know, what their opinion is on certain legislation that they might be voting on in Washington, DC. So, You've heard me talk about the, the 16th and 17th Amendment a lot, and I had to hear it many, many times before I could make like, oh yeah, okay, I understand why we, the founders wanted those senators to be the watchdog for the states. And now that the senators are not out protecting the states, uh, the, the states are, are um, their hands are being tied and they're, um, uh, there's a lot of government overreach. And so we're looking now to Washington to solve our problems instead of the states or you know, our local entities, our local boards, that kind of thing. So what is the solution? Let's see the next slide is you just repeal the 16th amendment. Repeal the 16th amendment and pass something like the Liberty Amendment. Now you will note that you could call it the Liberty Amendment. I've heard it called the Liberty Amendment. You'll note that, um, let's see that next slide that it's about six amendments that we're recommending to heal uh, the, the country constitutionally. And we went through this last week, you repeal the 17th amendment, you pass a new amendment that clarifies the power of the president. So he can't just write executive orders and call it law. So, you know, we, we, he just has way too much power. He's got his hands in way too many things. We repeal the 25th amendment. Remember that's the amendment that we could have an, un uh, unelected president and vice president, and that's a, called the Presidential Disability Amendment, and that could be very dangerous. We passed a judicial reform amendment because there's no checks and balances right now on an opinion that comes from the court. And so, you know, if two thirds of the House and Senate could overrule uh, an opinion that's not in keeping with the constitution, that would be a check on, on the courts. Pass an amendment to clarify the fifth and 14th amendments, thus reestablishing the Bill of Rights to their original intent. Those Bill of Rights were supposed to be a, a, a handcuff restrictions on the federal government, but the courts through the years have interpreted to put handcuffs on the states, all right? And then repeal this 16th amendment, all right? So shut off the money from Washington, D.C. So. So the states now are, you know, from the from the monies that they collect in the states, determine how to handle, you know, the problems because they're closest to the problems, the people and the problems. Okay, let's see that next slide. So you can see that all these changes needed for the healing of America, besides those six there, could be accomplished by legislation through Congress. Over the last uh, many decades, Congress has established over 500 agencies with over 2,600 programs making laws, regulatory laws that have been so destructive to our free enterprise system, okay? And so it's important that Congress reverse these actions and deregulate American businesses. And what this would do, it would stabilize the American dollar. So deregulation there in our books, it gives you a host of industries that need to be deregulated, uh, housing, and it gives you the reasons why, I won't go through every reason, but housing and, and steel and railroads, agriculture, labor, businesses, uh, the EPA and OSHA can shut down a business uh, and convict them, can find them. We saw this during COVID, how Congress couldn't do anything about it, these regulatory laws and executive orders that were being passed and re really harming small businesses. Also the removal of the Patriot Act uh, is a, a real hindrance um, uh, to uh, you know, people, businesses, law enforcement agencies. The, the Patriot Act came to be after 9-11 uh, under Bush, uh, and it was a way to, you know, uh, PATRIOT actually stands for providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct terror, all right? 
But what has happened is, um, you know, and it allowed people, the government to search phones and emails and financial records and wiretap surveillances. But certain of those provisions actually expired. Uh, you know, I think there was a, a finite time that they were allowed to do that after 9-11, but um, the act still exists. And, and it really does infringe upon individual rights. And in our fourth amendment of unreasonable searches and seizures, in fact, President Trump, when he spoke on Saturday night, reminded us again that illegal spying had occurred on his campaign in 2016. And so we need to remove this Patriot Act because now it's starting to, you know, impose our our personal freedoms as citizens in America. So also deregulation of the automobile industry, airlines, education. Several people that spoke at that conference that I talked about on Friday and Saturday talked about doing away with the Department of Education, dismantling the National Education Association that the government was never supposed to tell you know, schools, how they should um, teach their children. That was meant to be had at a local level. You know, there was advisory boards of parents that picked the principals, that picked the teachers, that picked the curriculum, and, and that needs to be brought back uh, more under a, a city council and have the city council, um, you know, that's what they did in the olden days. And, and if we would have that kind of way of determining, you know, uh, how our schools run and who's in our school systems, I can guarantee you God would be put back into the school systems. Okay, so all of these changes concerning the operation of our present government uh, could be made, and I talked about this last week as well, in four years. Do you believe that? I mean, we saw the, the change that was made when the Constitution was first put forth in 19, 1787 and then began to really hum along in 1791. And so, you know, these changes are achievable because mostly the constitution is intact. And yes, these are monumental <laughs> recommendations. And maybe there might have to be some things that happen in our country that will be so frightening that we will be brought to our knees. And it will be people like you, the boots on the ground that understand, you know, what it means to restore back to the wisdom of the founding fathers when our country was successful. and and. And God, you know, was able to assist us because we were looking to him and in keeping with his laws. Okay, so let's see the next slide. Now we're going to suggest, are you, are you keeping up with me? That was our monetary reform uh, ideas. Now we're going to talk about restoring our international relationships. Yes, little old you and me can, can at least it's important to understand how we go about what our founders intended. So in the Western Hemisphere, that's where we live, it's always been seen as a bastion of freedom. And our founding fathers knew that. And that's one of the principles in the 5,000-year lead, that they understood that America had a manifest destiny to be an example and a blessing to humanity. And so uh, when it comes to freedom, the founders wanted to be expansionist. Let's see that slide, not imperialist. So... Uh, an expansionist is like soft power, you know, wanting to grow and to strengthen into our nation by economic and business growth or military growth versus uh, imperialistic type nations that have wanted to, you know, con conquest and, and to extend power. And, and that's called hard power in the form of conquering. And, you know, it's interesting in, in our early history, um, did you know that our founders actually talked about, uh, you know, going into an a, alliance with the Western Hemisphere, with Northern and, and or, or Central and South America, Mexico, and encouraged uh, Bolivia, Bolivia, and uh, Jose San de San Martin. Do you know these men? In their aspirations to set up a union to be called the United States of Latin America, and although these efforts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> failed. Maybe it wouldn't, you know, maybe it could still be a possibility in the future. Who, who knows what our future would hold, but the founders were determined that um, while the rest of the West, Western hemisphere was growing at this early history in our time in, in America, that there should be no further invasions into the Western hemisphere by imperialistic powers of Europe or Asia 
And King George actually even uh, wanted that as well, just before he died, uh, I believe in 1820. He, he knew that, you know, um, uh, James Monroe, who was the fifth president, was, was going to put forth this doctrine called the Monroe Doctrine. And, and he, uh, England wanted that to be done because they could see that it would preclude France and Spain and other European uh, powers yeah. from expanding their dominion into Western hemisphere. And, uh, you know, England felt threatened by that. And so, you know, as you study the writings of our founders, we'll see that many aspects of, of this formula of the Monroe Doctrine has, uh, you know, has not been followed. But um, where these elements are lacking, it tells us in the book, that's where we are, we're weak that the Monroe Doctrine didn't want us to meddle in the affairs of other countries. And, and you can see when we have, it hasn't always served us well because that country's enemies become ours. I mean, just think of what's going on in uh, Ukraine and Russia. I mean, that's a regional conflict and we have chosen to get in, involved in that. And now, you know, uh, we have a whole new host of, of enemies and, and maybe they were en enemies, soft enemies, and now they're hard enemies, you know, and, and it, it really what we're doing in Ukraine goes against the Monroe Doctrine. So what is the Monroe Doctrine? It is a pledge um, that American leaders uh, will not, will not look, so what they'll do is they'll not look upon any foreign invasion of the Western Hemisphere, they'll, they'll look at it as a threat. So if they're coming in to the Western hemisphere, it will be a threat and it will uh, be considered an act of aggression and we, we will intervene. But it also says the Monroe Doctrine that we will not interfere or meddle with existing European nations or colonies, countries, all right? So, uh, uh, and, and to be honest with you, most presidents for a long time, you know, kind of adhered to that, uh, that doctrine. And our founding fathers, let's see that next slide. This is what, this is what they wanted. They wanted, um, let's see the next slide, the, tw the 25th principle, the 5,000 yearly 25th principle where um, Jefferson articulated it. And it's the a principle in the 5,000 year leap. They wanted peace and commerce and honest friendship with all nations and entangling alliances with none. All right, and you can see we've gotten we've gotten away from this, and we we certainly have made entangling alliances with many countries since our founding, and uh, and it, it's not served us well. You know, they wanted us to be a light on a hill. They, uh, you know, and really what we have accomplished from our founding, we have 320 million people now in our country. It it is really quite remarkable you know, with all the people throughout our history from Europe and Asia and Africa and Latin America and the islands of the sea, how they have come to America and have been united and we've lived, you know, in a, a free, relatively free society in harmony with each other. And, you know, America has been called a, a gigantic melting pot, but, you know, I think the enemies of freedom would like us to think <laughs> that we're not. And certainly young people today think that, you know, maybe we're a, an abusive, divisive country. But I just was so impressed two years ago. Let's see that picture of the, the Olympics. You know, as I looked at a lot of the athletes from other countries, they all look. Let's go back to the Olympic slide if we can. There you go. And I remember thinking we are a melting pot for as, you know, as much racial disharmony as some people like to purport is going on in this country. As I looked at, you know, teams from other countries and then our teams and they were just all such beautiful shades. We truly, what we have done to live, you know, over the last 250 years and to unite uh, is really quite amazing. And you know, I'm married to a black man and for all intents and purposes, my children are considered black out in the world. And they definitely are beneficiaries of all the opportunities that have come their way living under these conditions of, of God and maximum freedom. I have a boy who's earned more money at such a young age in the NBA than most people will in their entire life. And daughter that travels all over the world, you know, in Africa and, and a daughter who started her own business and is doing amazing. 
So I, I think, you know, when, when our founders wanted us to have friendship and, and commerce with all nations, but not to get into entangling alliances or them wanting us to understand that, you know, really, uh, let's see the next slide. They wanted our constitution to be our greatest export. And, and so they wanted us, you know, to be separate. They wanted the new and the old world to remain distinctly separate in their spheres of influence. And, and, and but they wanted us also to be a light on the hill and, you know, and let's see the next slide. They wanted this constitution to, to be a model to all nations. Let's see that next slide on the constitution because they knew the constitution raises the uh, level of civilization everywhere because it, it's principles of freedom. And um, they knew that freedom, peace and prosperity would be America's greatest exports and that the principles embodied in the constitution would enrich all mankind. And that is how, that is our challenge today, is it not? How do we help America continue? Let's go back to that last slide, please. How do we help America climb to the summit so the rest of the world can follow? Carrie Lake spoke at that conference last weekend and she said, I liked what she said, we, and when we continue to put America first or America first principles or policies first, all ships rise, all right? And, and same with the constitution. When people model these principles in this constitution, everyone's life rises, all ships rise. And certainly it is a slippery, pathway. We have seen this in this upward struggle to maintain over the past 250 years what our founders gave us. But when the American people lead the world, remarkable things have happened. And, and it continues to and will continue if we can stay true to the vision of the founding fathers. This is why we have to continually study their vision. Okay, so it's interesting about uh, 35 years ago, let's see now that um, slide, uh, Hannah of the Pope and Cleon Skousen. So this is Cleon Skousen and he was at a meeting in 1987 with John Paul II. He was had come to America. We know John Paul served from 1978 to 2005 for 27 years. He was the Pope. And he spoke on Constitution Day in America. President Reagan was the um, president at the time and that there was some sort of reception there. And Cleon Skousen um, uh, had a conversation with the Pope. And typically um, protocol is that when people meet the Pope, they kneel and they kiss his ring, but um, Cleon Skousen is not a Catholic and, and he's actually a leader in his church. And so, and I, I've heard um, his daughter tell the story. So this is how I know the details of the story because I wrote the notes as, as uh, Julianne Kimber, Scales and Kimber told me it. But he said, oh, um, I have a commitment to God that supersedes this courtesy of kneeling and, and kissing your ring. And so immediately she said the Pope got up and curtsied to him and extended his hand with Cleon Skousen. And um, they knew each other because at this time, Cleon Skousen had been given the task to write a model constitution for Canada and some of the South and Northern America, uh, South and North American countries. And, and, and Cleon Skousen was, or um, the Pope was talking about the constitution. He gave a beautiful address on Constitution Day extolling you know, the Declaration of Independence and the freedoms and our founding fathers. So he was familiar with some of the work that um, Skousen was doing in some of these countries in the Western hemisphere so they could model their constitutions after our constitution. And um, so the Pope stood up and extended his hand and he said, yes, I am familiar with what the work you do in your church and I'm appreciative to the preparations that you're making with the constitution. He said, I, I don't think you use the rosary, but he had, I don't know, if, I don't know if that's that kind of necklace is that is it? I don't think that's the rosary anyways he took off the rosaries that he had around his neck and gave it to uh Cleon Skousen and he said I just want to be able to give you something and then um and I see I and those rosaries are hanging in the Skousen house so I have seen them with my eyes that Pope uh, John Paul II gave to Cleon Skousen but he said um, and it's interesting, he said this about the constitutions that he, uh, Clarence Gausen was working on some of these other constitutions with these other countries. And he said, um, 
that I think the time will come where these principles will be taught to countries north and south and that these countries in the Western hemisphere will follow the United States constitution all the way from Canada to Argentina, he said. And hopefully that they will get their constitutions to be in harmony uh, with the United States constitution. And, and one day we can see this unifying effort to get this movement going down into South America as well. So that was a, a conversation that Cleon Skousen had with John and Paul II, who was uh, familiar with the work that Van Skousen was doing as he studied the science of um, writing a good constitution. The science of writing constitutions include the inclusion of certain principles that our founding fathers used in the United States. Well, let's see the next slide. And so Van Skousen, as he studied the science of constitution, an effective constitution should have a statement of intent. Let's see that next, a statement of intent, like a preamble. Uh, in order to provide an understanding to the public. And then it should also have a declaration of principles and policies uh, that kind of sets forth the, the structure and, um, uh, and kind of specifies that vertical separation of power uh, um, from the individual to the highest. Do we, um, Hannah, can we go to that little diagram that shows the separation of, with the, the three-headed eagle? Um, can we just go to that for a moment? So, so it, it, it specifies that vertical separation. Uh, let's see, we're gonna go off, that's okay. There you go. Uh, uh, from the individual to the highest level of government and also the horizontal separation of the three branches of government. So can you see all those little eagles right there? That really should have been our senators who was kind of the watchdog on the tower um, protecting the state government from an overreaching federal government. And so can you see why the 17th amendment remove that watchdog on the tower. And um, so anyways, then, so Hannah, can we go back up to number C, a constitution should also contain a declaration of rights. No, there you go, declaration of rights. Uh, and that's like our bill of rights that we have uh, our first 10 amendments and also a statement of security rights, um, such as, you know, the right to bear arms or to be protected uh, from um, accusations or a right to a trial by jury and maybe the right to unlawful searches and seizures. These are all like amendments. Two, um, four, five, six, seven, that, that, those would be some of our security rights today in our constitution. And then uh, number D, a constitution should specify the structure and power and responsibilities of each branch of government. Okay, so this is really, a, he's just kind of breaking it down how our constitution is and if someone another country was to model their constitution after ours. This is what it needed to, to be included. And also um, we would need to define, it would need to define e, the, the economic and monetary policies required for a free market, uh, such as it needs to be, you know, the, uh, the money has to be backed by precious metals, gold or silver, and th there shouldn't be fractional banking, meaning you can't loan out more money than you actually have in a physical reserve. And then um, a constitution should specify the powers that are prohibited to it by the national government and those prohibited to the states. And ultimately the last, how do we adopt or, or amend the constitution? So those are kind of the ingredients uh, for an effective um, constitution. Okay, so let's see the next slide. I think we're coming, we're coming to the end here, this last little section. So how do we export these kind of principles in our constitution to other countries? Abraham Lincoln understood that the curriculum used in one generation will be the basis of law in the next generation. So we have to educate people on, on you know, sound points of a, a constitution. And, uh, and we've seen what's happened is we don't even teach our own children in our own school systems this. They don't revere, respect, or even understand and think that it's outdated and it it's, hasn't progressed enough. And so we have to teach uh, not only ours, but uh, you know, the education systems in other countries, the explanation of certain terms in their educational uh, curriculums and, and systems. So an understanding of, of these terms is essential to, to understand the perspectives of um, a republic, a miracle of democratic republic. So my husband, 
In his volunteer church service oversees seven congregations of young single adult congregations. So everyone in these congregations are aged, you've heard me talk about this, age 18 through 35. And, um, and these are really high flyers. A lot of these kids are law students or medical students or in graduate programs at Georgetown or GW or American University, Catholic University, and all throughout Maryland and, and DC. And oftentimes when he speaks, so this was Sunday, we someone invited us to a, a dinner they had at their house with all these young kids. It was about, I don't know, 30 of them. And it was fun. They're delightful. And they're good kids that are trying to, you know, be obedient to God and God's commandments. Let's see the next slide. So my husband interacts a lot, speaks to small groups, and sometimes speaks to large groups. There's about 4,000 young people under his stewardship. And usually this is, he spoke to a large group here recently. And usually when he speaks to a little bit smaller group, he will weave in principles of liberty and freedom. And it's amazing when he asks these young uh, people, you know, questions like how many articles are in the constitution or how many amendments or how many amendments did our founding fathers give us? Or what is the difference between a republic and a democracy? How many of them don't know some of these basic things? And so we need to weave them back into the curriculums, not only in, you know, internationally, but in our country as well, these essential ingredients of a free market economy. Let's see that next slide. What is a free, what are prosperity economics? They should be able you know, to talk about what capitalism is. Let's see that next slide. And what the, uh, the laws of supply and demand are and why competition is so important and uh, why there must be a, an incentive for you know, um, profit and the lure of fixing prices or wages and, and what that does to a, a, a country, even if there is an emergency, maybe in a time of war, how detrimental that is to an economy and, and only where there are free market principles that are followed should we have a free market exchange with other nations. So we shouldn't sub, sub, subsidize um, you know, countries or, or groups of people with grants or no subsidizing with special tax exemptions or no tariffs between trade partners, why that would be important, why we wouldn't, shouldn't tax on our trade partners with exports and imports, these kind of things. I dare say most young people, maybe even I, I don't fully understand you know, some of the ingredients of a free market. So when you don't understand it, then you can see how easily it is for people with ill intentions to come in and, and to change it. Let's see the next slide. This is why I really recommend reading the Naked Communist and then Naked Capitalist books. And um, because it just breaks it down, you know, we need to teach not only, you know, to inner nation, but to other nations by nature, the, the detrimental effects of socialism, various forms of socialism, the history of it, and the history of national socialism, uh, national socialism, socialism, the history of democratic socialism, uh, socialism, what in the world is Fabianism? It's like this kind of reformist gradual approach to socialism that we've seen kind of infiltrate in our country. Who in the world was Fabian? He was a general in, in 2000, uh, 218 BC. So, you know, understanding, we just don't really understand, you know, that there's no civilization in history that's lived on these principles of socialism that, th that the standard of living has gone up for the people. No one teaches that. Young people are not taught that. They're just kind of taught the romantic idea of the government, you know, uh, telling us what to do and, and taking care of us. So, you know, um, countries need to, to be taught the impact of social, socialism. I don't know why I can't say that today. And how harmful it is on a Republican type of government. You know, this challenge of a monumental challenge of unscrambling uh, the egg when, you know, these principles of the free market are neglected. We've seen that. It's hard to put the egg back in the shell when we're used now to the government giving us you know, solutions. Think of all the stimulus checks that were given during COVID and, and when and how harmful it was with all the um, unemployment to small businesses. They couldn't get, you know, people to come work for them because they were making more 
in unemployment or with their stimulus checks and and how harmful that and, and destructive you know government intervention was to those small businesses we still go to stores now and that and there's not enough help they'll say they they can't no they can't find anyone to come work and and or they'll you know uh, use that as a, a reason why service is so bad because they're short they're short with the, the help okay so we also lastly need to be teaching the nations of the world how to achieve personal security and how do we do that well we give them this formula for happiness a happy and secure life you got to have a basic education one of our um, cottage meeting moms that went through the healing of america was inspired to write a program a healthy lifestyles curriculum you might have heard me talk about this in new jersey to a, a low graduating high school district and they for health class they accepted this healthy lifestyle curriculum and she taught these kids that if you can get a job if you can graduate get a job get married then have children you'll have less than a three percent chance of living in poverty right so we educate them with these i mean that and then she, she went on to say this last um, uh, spring when graduation came along, 200 kids that went through that healthy lifestyles curriculum is are now going to be the first generation of college uh, kids uh, in their families to go to college because of what they were taught. So give them a, you know, not this, not this social and emotional learning that we're teaching them that only seems to confuse them and cause them great distress, mental health crisis going on, but teach them true education, some of these facts and teach them to save. Let's go to the, back to that slide and, and teach them to, you know, pool their risks and get, have insurances and own homes and, and develop a high quality of life uh, in a family setting. You know, your family should really be your first safety net. If there is a problem, you go to the family and uh, not the government and and how you can have a satisfying life into retirement even at any age uh, as you serve and you give back in your community and this will raise your uh, level of personal security and happiness and so we have come to the end of this class today i hope you found some of it kind of interesting i'm, I'm not sure monetary reform and international relations really sinks to my soul but i think we have to understand how we strayed from some of these principles and ideas that our founders wanted that all these truths can really be contained within this healing of America curriculum. Let's, let's see that next slide of the healing of, uh, of the healing of America. Um, you know, I, I really believe that it's like studying the Bible. You just don't read your scriptures one, uh, read the Bible one time and call it good. And I really do believe the 16 week, I've taken so many seminars through the years on freedom and, and constitution, but I like how this just lays it out, how God worked in the establishment of this land mm -hmm. and the constitution that, you know, uh, where maximum principles of freedom were put forth and then some of the unhinging and then what we can do to be a part of the solution. And, and, he, and Leon Skousen is known to write things simply and so I would really recommend over the next 16 weeks, there's not 16 weeks of summer, but even a, a, a maybe two or three times a week, go through these books again, because you just can't go through it one time and, and understand because you want to be able to teach it and talk about it and explain it when people start, you know, just swirling around with emotion and disdain and despair and uh, cussings and that kind of thing. Let's see the next slide. I'd also recommend getting this Making of America textbook. This is the constitution from what the founders, they take every sentence and tell you for through quotes what the founders meant by the constitution. And then um, this fall, we're gonna be teaching these uh, 28 principles of freedom that our founding fathers pulled from to uh, establish this land and to, to write the constitution. And so we'll break down, we'll use two to three principles each class and we'll break it down and we'll talk about how it is applicable to um, you know, modern day examples going on right now. These 28 principles will become like your dearest friends. That's, you know, instead of, uh, just spewing emotion like so many people are as they're talking about various issues or people you can you'll speak with greater authority because you're 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 speaking 
on principle. It's like when a person injects a line or two from the word of God, it just changes the tone of a conversation, right? And so, um, you know, I think it's imperative to understand that a lot of these changes can be made without amending the constitution, right? And um, that this dream of healing our land can be fulfilled. And I do believe, I saw this uh, as 2000 people were at a conference in Washington, DC, who love God and love America uh, this weekend. They're waking up to the fact that our founding fathers' principles can be reinstated again. And it will produce you know, this freedom and prosperity and peace that it had in earlier times. And that it will reverberate throughout the world. You know, when America does well, all ships do well, all ships rise. And as we get back to these principles and understand, you know, and live under, you know, these principles of the constitution, remember the first hundred years when we were living under these principles, even though we had 6% of the world population, we were producing over 50% of the world's wealth. So of course you might say, oh my word, I do not know how I can be in, you know, instrumental or influential in the monetary reform systems or international relations or even exporting you know, the constitution to other nations. But look, what, what you and I can do, I always say is, is maybe what Senator Tim Scott's mother did. And he spoke a few days ago because he's running for president and he talked about his mother again. He, he, he always gives her credit for where he is. And he said, he talked about, let's see that story picture of Tim Scott, how his parents divorced when he was a young boy, he was seven years old. Let's see that Tim Scott, there you go. And his mom moved the two, her two sons back to grandma and grandpa's house. And he was just an angry little, frustrated little young boy, why this had to happen. And she would work long hours. She said, he said that she worked 16 hour days changing bedpans in hospitals that she would come home. He said she had stubborn faith. And I would see her every night in our bedroom because they all shared uh, the same room. She would drop to her knees and she would pray. And I'm sure she brought her little boys in on that prayer too. And he said that her example converted him to Christianity and it turned him to God and she changed his life. And he has said that in one generation, his family went from the cotton fields. I don't know if she worked in the cotton fields at some point in their life, in his life. In one generation, uh, their family went from the cotton fields to Congress. And he is here today, he said, because of his mother and his mother's prayers. And he is in a position today to be about healing this land and healing the constitution. He is a godly man. I know people who work in his office and they say he is the real deal. And then even the story of George Washington, remember when George Washington was gonna go off and join the Royal Navy? Let's see that picture of George Washington, the next slide. Hannah and the mother uh, Martha pled with earnest solicitations, you are not going to go off and join the Royal Navy of England's um, Navy. And, um, and I'm sure she was a woman of God and prayed and to know how she could prevent her son from doing uh, what he did and now he would go on of course you know he became she produced one of the greatest statesmen the greatest statesman our nation has ever known and he would say all that I am I owe to my mother George Washington would say that so you just don't know beautiful mothers what your influence will be on your children or on your grandchildren look when God wants to change the world let's see our last little slide what he does is he puts an idea in the mind of a mother or a grandmother, some obscure little mama in a simple little home, and she and then she instills that into the heart of the child. And then God just waits. The greatest forces in the world are not earthquakes or thunderbolts or congresses, but they are his children. And when a wrong needs writing or a truth needs preaching, when it nation needs healing he uses his inspired mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers to teach his children so mothers and everyone on the call today grandmothers grandfathers you are the future the future of america is in your hand god has put into your heart to be here in the last 16 weeks to get online 
and to learn these things. And now God is going to wait and see, you know, what you're going to do, how you're going to share, you know, some of the feelings that have come into your heart as you've learned this material. There is so much, please remember to be hopeful about God prevails in the end. Cleon Skousen always says, how can you stay so optimistic? And he says, because I read the book, I know who wins. We just need to be on that wall saying, Lord, here am I. There's a wonderful quote by Thomas Paine, who he says, he remember he put forth the common sense and it was read in the, around the campfires of Washington to inspire the troops. But Thomas Paine said, if there must be trouble, let it come in my day so my children can know peace. We are doing what we do for our rising generations. And yes, our nation is at war. And that is why we need to be warrior mamas and warrior grandmothers. Nikki Haley, who's the governor, was the governor of uh, South Carolina and the ambassador to the United Nations. She's running for president and she spoke and she said, I think she's the only woman running for president as a Republican, but she said, I always go back to Joshua and I am reminded to be strong and of good courage as I wake up each day and, and put on my armor and battle and do what I do for more rising generations. So with that, that is the end of our class on oh my land. It's 109 my time. Thank you so much for being with us. We're gonna have a few little announcements and then I would love to hear what kind of impact or what you have learned as you've gone through this Healing of America seminar.